Um, If you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. If you've been here for our series, that should be no surprise. We're going to be wrapping up chapter 1 over the course of this week and next. It has truly been a blessing to worship the Lord with you guys this morning and to just sing his praises to remind ourselves of our living hope um, that we have in Christ. And I'm very hopeful um, for today that as we open God's word, um, that he speaks to our hearts and shows us who he is and his glory. Um, it's always an intimidating task. Um, one, because there's a lot of people in here, um, but more so because these are such beautiful things. Um, as Corinthians just said, things freely given by God. Um, No eye has seen or ear heard or heart imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And what we're praying for this morning is that um, the Spirit would open up our eyes. Um, So let's read to that end. Um, i got to hustle this morning. I've been getting some hate mail from the nursery workers. Um, So so let's, without any further ado, jump into Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15. And then I'm, I'm going to cut it off in the middle. Um, it's such a beautiful passage. I expect you to read it through this week as we finish the second half. Um, but Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance and the saints. So whenever I was in the third grade, um, you can imagine a little third grade Jeremy, um, Valentine's Day was quickly approaching as it is today, coming up on Wednesday, and there was an inner school distribution system of Valentine's goodies. Did anybody else have that? Um, donuts, candy, if, if they were really rolling in the dough, they'd get a balloon and an animal, like the whole gig. And, and that day, you just wanted somebody to get you a donut, right? You wanted at least to end up with something. Um, you didn't want to be the kid that didn't have anything. And kids, if you don't get anything, you're still loved. (laughs) Um, No pressure, parents. Um, But so I was was in the third grade, and and up comes rolling in through these delivery partners, these Valentines and singing telegrams and all that jazz. Um, They come in rolling up with a donut, and um, I had a a sweet message on it, but it was kind of cryptic. And then I didn't know who it was from. Um, The name wasn't on there. And I thought, like most kids do, that this was the best day of my life. I have a secret admirer. And you can imagine third grade Jeremy, the story got larger and larger as the day got on. At first I had my eye on Sydney and Allie, and I was like, who, who did this? Um, who, would, who would go to such lengths to let me know that they love me and that I am as funny as I think I am as a third grade Jeremy? And so the, the day went by, the afternoon goes by, I may have, you know, might have scooched over a little closer at, at, at lunch to get some closer to the dates of my secret admirers that I thought I had. Got through the rest of the afternoon and it was, um, it's okay, there's, I've seen marriages work where there was just more distance than that, right? So it's just a couple years, 
why wouldn't you want to go for this third grader? This is the way that the story went. So I had a secret admirer, and I went the whole day, and they didn't make their presence known to me. They didn't say, I sent you the donut. Until I got home, and I said, Mom, I have a secret admirer. And Karen from Kentucky is right here, folks. Um, and she had to break it to me. Jeremy, that donut was from me. <laughs> they let the parents play a part in this evil plan of getting kids donuts to make them think. She's like, I thought I signed my name on it. Maybe it got lost. Maybe whoever brought it didn't bring it. And let me tell you, I love my mom. Well, there's nothing worse than having your mom as a secret admirer. <laughs> I had to go back the next day and act like, and be coy, and act like I didn't know that it was my mom that sent me that donut. I just keep spreading rumors about fifth graders out there that had the hots for me because I was like, I can't tell them that my mom is the one who arranged the donut. And you may wonder, what are we talking about right now? And I want you to know, as odd as it may sound, and we'll find out, don't worry, is that God does not wish to remain a secret admirer. Just like my mom, she was so proud. She's like, how dare you give credit of that donut? That was a $2 donut. Don't give that credit to anybody else. So she was overjoyed. I was devastated. But as we've read all of these rich, just amazing spiritual blessings that God has for us, that we're chosen, that we're lavished on with love, that he's adopted us, that he's forgiven us, he does not intend to be a secret admirer. He wants to be a very well-known, well-loved, known admirer. He wants us to know who has pursued us, who has loved us, and the blessings in which he has given us. So it's remarkable that, that Paul lists all these blessings and then he stops and he says, first I want to thank God for you believers. And then second he says, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would open the eyes of your heart to see just exactly what God has done. He says, I pray that God would show you exactly who he is and what he's done. Um, so as it was mentioned in that first verse, verse 15. Let me take a drink real quick. I've never gotten dry mouth from behind the pulpit. And it's been my worst fear. I think we're good. Verse 15 says, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he gives thanks for these believers. And as we, as we see here, I want to ask you guys, what causes your heart to rise in thanksgiving? What's good news? Maybe it's a donut on Valentine's Day. Maybe it's a, a team that won or is going to win. What causes your heart to rise in thanksgiving? Maybe you were listening to Jason this morning and you really wanted him to, to name a name on a, on a candidate who's going to come in here as a lead pastor. If you missed the Sunday School Hour, he did not. But you know what happened after that? After he said, we are working hard and we are trusting God, this room dispersed into small groups and prayed. This church gathered and said, let's seek God's face. And all I'm really trying to say to you is, and 
this has been true of my heart this past week, is we all need a recalibration of what gives us joy or what causes us thanksgiving. You may have been waiting for fill in the blank, a name or a different circumstance or something that you've been looking forward to. And quite frankly and legitimately, it's been in your prayers for a long time. And so you say, if only God would do this, I'll be happy. If only God would fill in that blank, um, I would thank him. And, and what does Paul say? What, what's enough for Paul's heart to say, thank you, God? He says, one, you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever we see guy and cookie and we see faith in Jesus Christ, we rejoice. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And we praise God for them because we see someone relentlessly pursuing Christ with their life. That's exciting. And if you're like me, our hearts can get so off kilter and so out of line. But what is causing your heart to rise up in Thanksgiving this morning? It should be, and I hope it will be, and I invite you to see the faith of of God's people in the Lord Jesus Christ and thank God for that. So where have you been seeing faith? Where have you been seeing church members pursue Christ? Where have you seen them opening up the word and devouring it? When have you seen them singing songs of praise even though the rest of their life is falling apart? Like when we see that, we can say, God, thank you. And Paul does the exact same thing. He says, I'm so glad that you've been pursuing Christ. And then the second thing he says, he says, and your love for all the saints. And I am so glad to be here at Calvary because I have seen a lot of love poured out on a lot of saints. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know what that feels like to experience loss, to experience tough anniversaries, to experience dreams shattered. But people come alongside you and express love and care and tenderness. I've seen guys go up to other guys and ask them, how are you doing out of love, coming alongside them, putting their arm around them? I've seen parents that just love their kids so much that it hurts. And they've continually showed kindness after kindness after kindness. I've seen folks go through miscarriage. I've seen folks lose parents and loved ones, devastating loss, and saints just come around and love them, whether it's a meal, praying, supporting, whatever it may be, Y'all have experienced, I've experienced that too. And so I just want to thank God. Thank God that he has given us faith in Jesus and that he's placed the love in our hearts for the saints. So he moves into, Paul moves into from Thanksgiving into a prayer of intercession. That's where we want to spend the majority of our time this morning. He says in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So what or how does Paul pray for his fellow believers? And as I alluded to already, he wants these believers to know God. And he says, I pray that the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may grant you, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in a knowledge of him. 
he knows that after he just described all of these wonders and all these glories, all these blessings from this first chapter, he knows that our minds, our hearts cannot even begin to grasp what's in there. We can't begin to understand the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. So Paul, as it were, dispatches another third person of the Trinity, yes, that the Father of glory may give the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they may really know, truly know who their admirer is, who their God is. And it's an amazing prayer. And one thing that's significant about this prayer in comparison, in comparison to some of the others in the New Testament, it's very common language for him to say that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul inserts here another element. He says, Comma, the Father of glory. He says, the same Father who has shown you his glory and has decreed that you would partake in his glory from before time began is the same Father of glory that I'm asking would pour out his very own spirit. And how does he describe that spirit, church? He says, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. One of my favorite prayers of the Bible comes out of Psalm 119. And it says, open my eyes to see wonderful things out of your law. And the truth is, church, that many of us, thank God, have been delivered from a domain of darkness and transferred to a kingdom of light. Once we were blind, now we see. So if you are in Christ, I'm thankful that you as the 1 Corinthians passage stated, have been given that spirit. You're no longer just natural or physical. You've actually been born again. You've been born of spirit. But after that, can I say post-salvation, and I don't think he's talking about the Ephesians. He's not asking for them to, to get saved. This isn't a salvific sense. He says, you already have the seal of the Holy Spirit, but I'm praying that this Holy Spirit would continually open up your eyes little by little. And the truth is, church, that in God there is so much glory that we can't even perceive it. We can't even understand it. With God there is so much light, and in him there is no darkness. And you may wonder, well, why can't I see all of him? Why does he even, in the scripture, why does he reveal himself progressively? Why is glory shown degree by degree? And it's because of the sin that still indwells within us. You and I are still trapped by our finitude, right? We're still weak. We're still at times lazy. We're still finite. We still don't understand everything that there should be. And so we actually need someone to come and continually open up our eyes. We need someone to take the, the retinas of our heart and, and show them the light so that we can even respond to the stimuli of the gospel, to respond to the stimuli of God's white hot glory. And that very person is the Spirit of God. And as was mentioned in the passage, we won't turn there, but he says, this wisdom has been decreed from before the ages began. Isn't that amazing? What I'm trying to say is that the same blessings that were decreed before time began, we talked about the last couple of weeks, God said, before time, I choose them. Because they're pretty? No. I just choose them. Because they have good works, because they're, they're extra beautiful, or he knows that they're going to serve them with their whole life. He says, no, I choose them. 
And then he says, and I, I, I'm going to pour lavish love on them. and I'm going to adopt them and I'm going to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them. I'm going to bring them to myself and I'm going to give my very own spirit to them. First Corinthians says, not only that, he says, but I'm also, I've decreed wisdom from before time began so that they may know this. It says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Heart has never imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. There are so many amazing things that God has for us and has in store for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's also said, and I'm going to decree wisdom. I'm going to decree that my own spirit would come alongside them and help them understand, impart to them the things freely given by God. In other words, that God may not remain anonymous, so that God may not remain unknown, so that the very God who eternally planned these blessings and temporally poured out these blessings in time and in our lives also provides his very own spirit so that we can understand, so that we could perceive and cherish these blessings. Imagine there's a dark and, and dusty room. Let's say you have a friend that you've, you went over to, you've been worried about them for a while and you've went over to their house and found them in their bedroom again. And it's, you can just tell when you walk in, even whenever you open the door, you, you let in more light than has probably been there the last few weeks. And, and you come in and you're gentle and kind. And you say, friend, you got to get up. Friend, I love you too much to let you stay in this, can I say, darkness. Not an eternal darkness, but for sake of our illustration, just a unenlightened state or, or a, 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 a clouded state, a dusty room. And so you as a good friend, the spirit as a good friend, the very comforter comes and slowly draws back the curtains and, and opens the blinds. And you look out and you see, wait a second, I was in a dark and dusty room, but now I see outside it was shining. Did y'all enjoy that weather yesterday? Am I the only one that was just sitting outside for as long as I could? Right, you look outside the window and you're like, oh my goodness, the, look at those green trees. Look at those birds chirping and just having a good time. Look at um, a gentle flowing river, whatever comes into your mind when you think of a beautiful sunny day. Right, there, is a, there is a reality behind the reality. And this glory of God, these blessings of God, we, we can't even hardly perceive them. And so the Spirit, and this is what Paul is praying, and this has been my prayer for you, church. The Spirit is the one who comes in, says, lifts, lifts their friend's head, lifts our head, and says, look. And he goes over, draws back the, the curtains, opens up the blinds, says, look. Do you see how much light is out there? Do you see just how good he is? And sometimes I think we get this perception in our mind that God grows, that as we get to know him more, somehow he has gotten bigger. Thankfully, Pastor Guy mentioned for us earlier, he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He does not grow in glory. He does not grow in perfection. He, he doesn't have more light today than he did yesterday, folks. He, he exists outside of time. We can't even understand it. So whenever you discover a nugget of truth in the scriptures, which is just awesome, I love that feeling, about God, and you're like, I've been learning this about God. He's, he's grown in your mind. Has he grown in reality? No. 
He's perfect. He's good. He's glorious. And we, beholding the, the glory of God, little by little, are transformed into that same glory. And it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Or as this passage would say, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's an enlightening of the eyes. So church, how do you pray for your fellow believer? Do you pray like Paul does? Do you pray that this spiritual cosmic dynamic would happen in their heart because you know how good God is, you know how much he's blessed them that they actually come to realize those blessings? Because it's interesting that Paul does not pray anything new over their lives. He doesn't say the spirit of wisdom and revelation because he expects these believers to come to conclusions outside of God's word or outside of God's character in that next week. Right? He's just praying that what is already true, the, the first reality, the light outside the window, would, would blaze through, would shine through that dark and dusty room called your heart and my heart, and that we'd be able to perceive and cherish who God is. And so the Spirit opens up the word to us. He says, um, open the eyes of my heart so that I may understand wonderful things out of your law. The wonderful things are already there. That's the reality. What we need is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Another passage that connects this to the very word of God is um, in Psalm 119, again, verse 30. Actually, I think it's 130. There's so many verses in that chapter. But it says, God's light says, the unfolding of your words gives light. Forgive me, I stumbled over my words. Let me quote the verse. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light. As in preaching, but also as you read the scriptures throughout the week, we should have a hunger and thirst to see who God has revealed himself to be. We should have a, a hunger and thirst, and maybe we're praying that the Spirit would just give that hunger and thirst, if you're like me on most days, that I would actually want to see these wonderful things in, in his word. And it says as we read that, light comes out. As we read that, the Spirit puts two and two together. The Spirit illuminates. He, he shows us what was already there. And this is all in a knowledge of God. Read the end of that verse 17. Why would he ask the Spirit be given? He says, so that you may have a knowledge of him. And we get a lot of fancy ideas about who God is. And we need to make sure that we look to the scriptures where God has revealed himself. Um, if you have a new thought about God this week and you call that, oh, I, I experienced the spirit of wisdom and revelation and nobody else has that thought or nobody else has ever had that understanding of scripture, you're probably about to start a cult, right? So be careful because there is safety in God's truth. It is in God's truth that he has shown us to, who he is but there's also safety in community. And just like the prayer that Pastor Robert mentioned a few weeks back was communal. He says that you may know the love of Christ along with those who, who are in Christ. In the same way, he's praying that the, the people, the church at large, would collectively come together and see and know who God is. None of us is an island, my friend. All of us need the spirit within our fellow believer, all of us need the Christ in them so that it can enrich and, and grow, as it were, the Christ in me or my, my relational fruit, my, my spiritual fruit in my life.
And then he also says something else. Not only knowledge of him. Look in verse 18. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And this is where I want to land. What is the hope that God has called you to? What is the hope that God has called you to? When you think of the word hope, what comes to mind? The more I've thought through it and wrestled through this and attempted to understand it, I'm going to leave it at confident expectation. There's not really words enough to describe the word hope, but I'm going to leave it to confident expectation. And what I want to do this morning is look at two examples of what hope is and someone who had hope and how we should have hope and kind of answer that question, what is the hope that God has called us to? Um, so if you would, please turn with me to Romans chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to read a, a section in Romans 4. We're going to read a section in Romans 8, and then we're going to land back in Ephesians 1. Like I told you, the nursery workers are already angry at me. So we're not going to unpack these. I've, I've been telling myself all week, Jeremy, you cannot, we could not unpack these. We are looking for a single thread. A single thread of hope. And so I want to learn from these verses, from Abraham's experience and through the intercession of the Spirit, what is the hope that God has called us to? Indeed, such that Paul would pray that we would know that hope of our calling. So you're in Romans 4. Thanks for turning there. Uh, Look in verse 16. Talking about the promise, it says, That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Verse 18 says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. If I could have your eyes again. It says the promise rests on grace and on faith. So this is just the way that my mind works. Um, Faith and hope are very intricately connected. But we see here in this passage that whenever God spoke, whenever God revealed himself or whenever God made a promise, And Abraham says he believed that that promise. So that initial trust, that initial understanding, he said, I consider that God can call things from death to life. He can call things that don't exist into existence. So God spoke and said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Through your offspring someday, the entire world is going to be blessed. What What does Abraham do? He looks around says, well, I've already had my 100th birthday. Looks at Sarah, says, we've been trying to have kids for the, for the better half of our lives. But he says, okay. In other words, the divine pinky promise is extended. And Abraham says, I don't know why you would extend this promise to me. I don't know why you would speak these good words to me. But yes, faith, I believe, yes, 
And it says that whenever he believed God, in his heart, when he said, okay, God, I believe you are who you say you are, and I believe the word that you've spoken, it says he was counted as righteous. So that faith is believing the promise. I'm going to call hope the expectation of that promise's fulfillment. Right? So, so we've been told so many rich and wonderful things. Abraham was told many rich and wonderful things. Did he see those things in his lifetime? No. He, he did see some children. Did he see all of his children? Did he have as much children as the stars in the sky? Did he see the entire world being blessed through one offspring? No. So he had faith in the promise, but he had hope that the promise was going to be fulfilled. He had hope that God would keep his promises. And so Abraham says he hoped against hope. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you read those blessings in Ephesians 1 and it was like forgiven. One day he's going to present me holy and blameless, adopted. He's going to unite all things in heaven and earth. Maybe you look around and whether you're gauging your feelings or you're just gauging your body, you're like, I'm not made new yet. All things have not been united in Christ fully. We have faith in the promise, but we have hope that that promise will come to fruition. Hope is confidently expecting that God will do what he says he will do. What he has done in Christ and what he will do at Christ's return. And let me finish reading and then we'll, we'll jump over and say a few, more, a few more words about hope. Listen to Abraham. And perhaps this needs to be you this week. Verse 19 he says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. That's what I call hope, growing strong in faith. Yes, I have believed this, but I'm going to believe this even more. I'm going to trust this even more. I'm going to look to the God behind this reality even more. He said it. I believe it. And he pressed on and he said, actually, in that faith, in that hope, he says he actually gave glory to God. We have such an amazing potential this week to take God at his word and trust in his promises. Verse 21, he says he's fully convinced God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours only. Amen. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead the Lord, from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I just wanted to stop real quick. If you're, you're visiting or if you've been sitting in these chairs for as long as you can remember, the divine pinky promise, the d- divine word from God this morning is that Jesus was delivered up for your sins. And that he was raised for your justification. And you may look at your life and say, why would he ever love a sinner like me? Join the club. You may look at your life. Maybe you're on the opposite end and you say, well, actually, I've been pretty good. Don't you know, Jeremy, I've actually been in church my whole life or whatever the case may be. Jesus was delivered up for our sins. Because our sins stood against us, condemned us, and bought us. Eternal punishment. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that word, that promise can bring life into your heart today. Through believing that word, that promise of Jesus, you can experience everlasting life, forgiveness, freedom from sin. So if that's striking a chord in you this morning, maybe you're uneasy because you're like, well, I thought I had already had that. Or maybe you're saying, I'm hearing this for the first time, Jeremy. Why has no one ever shared this good news? Consider yourself a participant. Consider yourself as, as having heard the good news of Jesus is that all who trust in him will not be put to shame. So let's keep going on our, our thread of hope. Like I said, I can't unpack it, and I, I tried to a little bit because I'm ambitious. Um, Romans 8, verse 18. And I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. I cannot think of anything better to throw at you. So if these are like, like just taking too big of a bite, that's fine. Doing my best to break it down. These will no, no doubt need to be revisited this week. Romans 4, Romans 8, Ephesians 1. Psalm 119. Romans 8, verse 18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's our word reveal again. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Did you catch that? The same language. There's God's reality, and it says creation. The trees, the animals, the the hurricane seasons look in and they cannot wait for you and I to be shown who we really are in Christ. Because guess what our revealing means? Their redemption. It says whenever Jesus returns and shows us to be who we really are, it'll mean their redemption. It says verse 20, for the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, who else? We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even though we have the Spirit, we groan inwardly, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Right? We're trying to trace that thread of what is the hope that God has called us to. For starters, he says, without hope, you wouldn't be saved. He said, you've actually been called to this hope, and this hope saves you. So somehow God is glorified in calling us to a hope and giving us a promise that is not quite possessed. And this is the same thing that Matt mentioned last week when he said, we are in both in time and in reality in an already but not yet. One example of that is this passage talked about, he said, we eagerly await what? The adoption. And it says even the redemption of our bodies. And you may say, well, well, in Ephesians 1, it said, I already am adopted. Right? And you are. If you're in Christ, you are adopted. But there's a sense where we already have that. These promises have been enacted, inaugurated. But we haven't, even though it's final, the adoption isn't quite complete. 
Same thing with redemption. It says we have tasted and we have been redeemed. We have been bought by God through Christ's blood, which is good news. But this Roman says that we, we hope, right? The, the, leap, the leap from things enacted to the things received is called hope. And he says we, we wait and we look forward to the redemption of our bodies. And so every bit of truth that Christ has spoken to us and every bit of the promises that are in Ephesians 1, we already have them enacted, inaugurated in Christ, but we look forward to, we cannot wait to see them completely possessed. We cannot wait until our bodies are actually made new. Um, and, And here in this passage it says, and we eagerly wait with patience. Let me read verse 26 And then we'll head back to Ephesians 1. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's the same weakness that I was alluding to earlier. The finitude. Right? What I'm trying to say is just being finite. Being dust. Being human. Being in this life. Have you ever got something wrong? Yeah. Have you ever spoken a wrong word to your spouse or to your kid? Yeah. Have you ever gotten the take on a situation wrong and then someone told you, hey, that's not what's going on at all, right? We're just, we're, we're small. We're small-minded. We don't understand everything. Have you ever read something in Scripture and then come back a few days later and said, oh, I missed a, I missed a verb. I missed a letter. I, I missed a whatever. I missed a, a concept there. I didn't see the context, right? So he says the Spirit helps us in our weakness and lightening our hearts, giving us, giving the retinas of our hearts the ability to to see and understand the stimuli of God's word. Here he says he helps us in our weakness, and those weaknesses are many. He says we don't know what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit, our friend, our counselor, intercedes for us. If you would turn to Ephesians 1, and I'm, I'm closing here. Ephesians 1. As we finish answering this question, what is the hope that God has called us to? The hope that God has called you to is he says that he has chosen you so that he may present you holy and blameless. I hope no one would raise their hand if I asked the question, who in this room is completely holy and completely blameless? Right, you would say, well, in some sense, I'm in Christ, so yes, I am holy. I am blameless. Then you would look, take a, a second glance at your life and say, well, there's parts of me that I know he is still working on, that he is still, they're still in motion. He's still making beautiful. He's still making holy and blameless. That's the already, but not yet that we're talking about. And so the, the confident expectation that you and I can, can have is that he who promised that he would present us holy and blameless will do what? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Anybody? Anyone shy? He will present us holy and blameless. That sin that has devastated your week, God is more eager to eradicate it from your life than you are. He wants you more beautiful than you even know how to be beautiful. He wants you more clean, more pure, more holy and spotless than you even know. 
and the sin that breaks down our hearts and just feels heavy on our shoulders and the sin that we just sometimes just can't shake off being in this present evil age. He says, one day I'm going to present you holy and blameless without spot, without blemish, perfect. First John even says, we are the children of God, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. He says, but we actually hope. We look to him who is pure. We have confident expectation that when we see him, we will be like him. So rest assured, church, the hope you have in Jesus is that he will present you holy and blameless, that he has not abandoned you, that he will complete the work that he has started. Pulling another one of these themes from Ephesians 1, let me tell you, we mentioned adoption already. Let's talk about how he will unite all things in heaven on earth. Christ, should I say first, the Son of God existing from before time became a man and he incarnated. We talked about that a few months ago if you were here. But not only that, but he, he went to a place of crucifixion and he went to a place of resurrection. And God says that we have actually been chosen in him, in Christ, such to the fact that Christ's perfect life if we have faith in him, if we've trusted in him, is now our perfect life. That that righteousness that is Christ, his, his white clothes have been gifted to us. Not only that, it says that he was crucified and that we too have actually been crucified with Christ. Paul used that language. We're so in Christ that his crucifixion meant our crucifixion. That old things have passed away and now all things have become new. Paul dares to say in Corinthians, you are a new creation. So not only crucified, but we have actually also been raised with Christ. And as the song said, we believe that with him we will rise. That Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. In the meantime, we hope. And we don't hope with our hands up in the air. We don't hope like those who have no Savior. We don't hope as those who are still lost in their sins. We do not hope as if the darkness will last forever. We do not hope as those who think winter is going to press on and it will always be cold and it will always get dark at 5 o'clock. We hope because we know that one day when Jesus returns, it will be well. That all things in heaven and earth will be united in Christ such to the fact in the next chapter it actually says that in Christ we too have been raised and seated. You're so in Christ right now that God sees you at Christ's right hand. God sees you in Christ in the heavenly places. Do I understand that? No. But it's good news. Because if Christ is in me, that I'm free. If, if I'm in Christ, then I am redeemed. If I am in Christ... I am blameless and I am holy and I can put my, my shoulders and my head up proud because I don't have a secret admirer. I have a God who loves me to the extent that he would send his very own son, to the extent that he would place me in that son before time began so that he could unravel time and space in such a way that it just all comes to what? The praise of his glorious grace. So perhaps you came in here today without hope. I want you to know that you have been called to an amazing hope, a living hope through Christ's resurrection from the dead. 
Colossians says, the riches of his, his wondrous grace, his mystery now revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is in you, all will be well. Can I pray for you, church? Father of glory, we don't understand all of who you are, not because you haven't revealed yourself and not because you aren't perfect, but because of our hearts and how dim they can be through sin and through trial and suffering. And truly in this life, we will not fully know and fully see and fully cherish you as we should. But I thank you, God, Father of glory, that this morning you are pouring and will pour your spirit of wisdom and revelation so that this church may know you. I pray that this church, my heart, that we would know you. And to know you is to love you. And to know you is to make you known because you are all things to us. All we have is Christ. And so we bless you, God, today for all of your spiritual blessings in Christ. And I pray that this church, Calvary Baptist Church of Simpsonville, would know the hope to which you have called us. Pray that we would wait for you, Jesus. Look to you with confident expectation, knowing this, that no one who puts their hope in you is put to shame. We will never be embarrassed for trusting in Jesus. And Jesus, it is in your name that we trust and we cling. It is in your name that we rise up and thank you. It is in your name that we do all things this week. Amen.